Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. Welcome to episode 152. In this episode, Robin interviews writer Jan Steckel, who reads from her debut fiction collection, Ghosts and Oceans. Jan was our guest back in April of 2019 on episode 43. But before our featured conversation, I interview Robin in the Artscape. Ah, I think I'm nervous about this interview today. I don't know what I'm going to say, but hopefully something of uh, interest. I'm gonna, I'll ask you so many hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, all right. I'll be Where were you on January 6th? <laughs> of this year? Hmm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Any year. <laughs> yes. Well, if you want to reach our goofy selves on the internet... You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and and X, or whatever the hell it is, at Leftscape. And you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. We post exclusive content there every month, sometimes a little late. <laughs> but every month we do post exclusive content. Join us at patreon.com slash Leftscape. So, Wendy, what did you learn yes. this fortnight? Oh, well, this fortnight... I learned that there are over 200 Kit Kat flavors in Japan, and also that the Japanese have streamed Music for the Goddess almost twice as much than Americans have in this year. I really want to know what the hell is up with the Japanese people. That's <laughs> why really cool. they suddenly have discovered me. And, and I'm also disappointed in Americans. You guys aren't, you know, <laughs> like, listen to my music, goddammit. That's yeah, all yeah. I have to say. <laughs> Where do you see the streams for, for Japan? Is this, oh, is this for TikTok, my, you said, or for, for all streaming? No, I don't know. I don't okay. know. It's TuneCore has statistics of where your income is coming from. Okay. And it can be, they break it out all different ways, like by releases, by songs, by country, by service. Got and, it. you know, so I can't tell how many you know, Facebook users in Japan are streaming me, but I know they just, because it's just the country listings. And I think actually Great Britain is, is the uh, is the, the current leader in streaming, but that changes. It changes all the time. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. So I should I check know. my CD Baby streams to see how that, that's going. I haven't noticed who's who's leading the pack lately. <laughs> Very cool. And what, what did you learn this fortnight? Well, actually, I, I, I still have more questions, though, because I want to find oh, out all the okay. Kit Kat flavors. <laughs> what was your, do you have a favorite? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> all right. I'll have to look that um, up. <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen, like, wasabi Kit Kat, for example. That sounds delicious. It does. I mean, well, and then there was another one that, like, I forget what it was, but I saw an ad for it, and it looked, it, it, it looked like it would be completely disgusting. So I don't <laughs> <Okay>. know. <laughs> All right. My favorite Kit, my favorite Kit Kat flavor, personally, is regular Kit Kat. So, <laughs> okay. Well, I know that's boring. <laughs> no, they're good. That's what works. But this fortnight, I learned that Kiss played their final show this Saturday at Madison Square Garden. So we've had 50 years of KISS, which is Ugh, wild to 50, realize. Okay, I, I'll, I'll shut up about my... I know you don't like them. Or... Whatever. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I have Well, I a... really don't like Gene Simmons. I, I just have a thing against him. Oh, well, he's, a, he's an ass, but they're cartoons. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. But that's actually the point, because they played their final show, 
and their avatars are now taking over because I actually Googled like, did, is Kiss really retiring? Because I, I, I found it hard to believe that there's just no Kiss show anymore. But now what it's going to be is that their avatars will be playing shows. And that's what you they mean, did. Like people in, wearing the makeup? No, like, like actual they're... like holograms of them or something. Oh, my God. So apparently, <laughs> no. So like they ended the show and then, <laughs> then they sort of left the stage and then their avatars took over and they played God Gave Rock and Roll to Us, I think. <clears throat> and they're the first American band to do this because there's an ABBA show that's like a hologram app or, or avatar ABBA show that's touring but so now okay we'll take over so what they put a screen up it it, it's got to be a you know of some type of video but i don't know how it works i I, but it seems like it might be more 3d than that you know what i mean so i'm i'm interested in how it looks i think it'll be interesting to see well it's it yeah it is interesting i guess yeah (laughs) yeah and there's something about the, the an era of an era ending and changing over just because they were, uh, wh- whether you love them or hate them, they're iconic. You know what I mean? And it's very interesting. Yes. For me to just it got a lot of mileage out of those three chords. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that was, that was actually a Bay City Rollers joke. Yeah. That they were adding a fourth chord to their, <laughs> to their Well, that reminds me, when I went to see them in the (laughs) 90s, my dad said, are they, were they any good? They had a lot of time to practice. (laughs) And I was like, dad, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was pretty Uh, funny. (laughs) All right. All right. I guess we need to get into the, all of the news we can handle. (laughs) I'd like. (laughs) It's like, I'm just, I dread, this is like right now because of the universe and the earth specifically, <laughs> I really don't even like looking at what, what is news for this show anymore. Uh, people have to calm the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. Okay, well, I guess... You know, kiss or cartoons and clowns in a certain way. So this first, this first story is about a cartoon and a Segway. clown. Segway. Yes, exactly. <laughs> George Santos is now out of Congress, as we mentioned last show. Like he was pretty much on his way out after his three-hour rant against everybody in Congress. And so that was like a couple of days after. I think it might have even been the, the day our show uh, posted. He was out. But now he is on Cameo. <laughs> he also, he's also. What is, tr- what is Cameo? Oh, Cameo. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Cameo is a service where famous people or kind of used to be famous people or whatever can put themselves up for hire. Oh, oh, oh. This is like if you want somebody to read somebody a birthday, say happy birthday in a video kind of bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. Like. Oh, okay. like I got Randy Rainbow to say happy birthday to my friend Amy and she was over the moon. <laughs> it was awesome, you know, so like, yeah, there are things like that. They're fun. So George Santos, like I just, I, it's it's just so amazing to me that someone could go from Congress oh. to being like the liar of Congress 
and the you know the, then straight into cameo like there's no like even pretending of of dignity here you know what i mean <laughs> it started out no I don't know, no, like, no detour through only fans yet <laughs> apparently not yet although i think he spent some <laughs> money that was supposed to be for camp oh yeah or something in only fans yeah so <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, but no, so he he was I don't know it was like a hundred or something. I heard the news when it was up. To, he went up to three hundred dollars, and now his wow. current video price is up to five hundred dollars a video. Well, so he's he's got to make up for all that, you know, congressional lobbying money that he's not getting anymore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the funniest thing that that I've seen so far is that John Fetterman actually hired him to say a video to um, <laughs> Bob Menendez. And he trolled him. He was just—he was just like oh saying, "Bob, you know, like I don't know if they're trying to get rid of you or kick you out. You've got to stand your ground." And be, you know, he was just like totally—it's oh t- just hilarious. I think, that, <laughs> like the fact that he actually gave him money to say it kind of pisses me off. But the fact that he—he—he used—he did it well, you know. <laughs> so yeah, Bob Menendez, our 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 a senator, really needs to yeah. go also. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I got. All right. Well, I'm leaving the United States on my news reporting today, and this is happening in South Africa. There is contention over who is the new king of the Zulu. The late king Zwelithini had six wives and at least 28 children. Misu Zulu is the first son of the third wife, who he designated as regent in his will, but the queen died suddenly a month after her husband, leaving a will naming Misu Zulu as the king. Zwelithini's first wife claimed to be the only legitimate spouse, and she failed, but she did fail to get a court order stopping the coronation of the man whose name means to strengthen the Zulu people. And before Ramaphosa's state ceremonies, Wethelini's eldest son, who was born out of wedlock, filed an emergency lawsuit claiming he was the rightful heir. And brothers of Zwethelini are also claiming the throne for a different contender. So first, I didn't know that the office of Zulu king was still a legitimate royal person. That was one thing. And this kind of jockeying around for position is i don't know i i'm slightly amused by it i guess the supreme court of south africa has ruled that the praetorian government had acknowledged misa zulu's ascension to the throne prematurely because they're not they didn't follow protocol or something so i i'm assuming this will this will probably be going around in south africa for a few minutes before they it settles down i i don't know i kind of i find this slightly more interesting than the british royal family stuff so it's interesting it definitely is yeah. i'm surprised that if you name someone that they it might not hold i guess it depends because it might be like the, the tradition if it's like the oldest heir as opposed yeah, to the one that it, he named it's... as a third wife so yeah but but i mean the oldest the oldest son of the first wife was born out of wedlock so that probably that's you know throwing a monkey wrench in there and it's like oh my god (laughs) all these weird traditions anyway that was interesting (laughs) (laughs) that was very interesting so this news item is less amusing yeah so there's a woman in dallas kate cox who is pregnant and who's 
fetus has trisomy 18, which means it, it will have, it has a third chromosome, the 18th chromosome, right. there's three of them as opposed to two, the child will not live. Right. It's the, the, that condition, if the, if the child is even born alive, which right. doesn't always happen, they die fairly soon afterwards. Yeah. It, it just sounds kind awful and sad. Yes. So anyway, she, being in Texas, all, almost all abortions are illegal. She was able to get a restraining order on that statute to allow her to go, undergo the procedure. But then that was very quickly blocked by the attorney general. Yeah. So he wouldn't allow it. So the latest news is that she is leaving the state to have the procedure. Because yeah. anyone well, anyone within anymore. Texas was was under pressure of, of being, you know, tried and arrested yeah. for for helping her, which is absurd and sad. Well, not only that, she had during the last week while this thing was going back and forth in the courts, she had gone to the ER three times. Yeah. For pro, you know, for issues where they can't and they can't do anything for her because the only way to protect her health is to have the procedure done, and and she can't have it done there. So, and I think I think this is also the first time that the attorney general has specifically said they would go after a doctor because it had been up until this time they had been going after other non-medical people but like they go after the facilities or or you know other people but not doctors specifically and this is this is the first time they've threatened a doctor this it really makes me think of the phrase that was used mostly talking about immigration but the cruelty is the point is what this feels like yeah. to me it's like why in under in what world would you think that you're creating a better scenario by forcing someone to not abort in this situation, you know, unless you, unless it's some kind of like deep religious thing where, well, this is, you know, the punishment of, for the sin of Eve or I, I, I don't know, you know, people think of really strange things around this stuff, but it, it's, it, it can't be good for anyone involved for her to continue. So I'm no. glad she was able to leave and had the means to be able to leave the state, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I also think there were other people in Texas that are all, that, that are starting similar suits. I know there was a, a class action suit in another state. Hmm. There are women who, who need procedures done and they're, they're suing their states. They're, they're going through their state court systems to try to get, like either, you know, injunctions or whatever, so they could get, so they can continue to live, basically. Yeah. You know, these are, these are people who, whose lives are threat, their pregnancy is threatening their life and they can't, they can't get treatment. And it's very sad. Ah. Activist groups in Uganda are meeting with constitutional court judges this week as they attempt to overturn the world's harshest anti-LGBTQ plus law. The law, which received overwhelming support from the MPs when it was passed in March, imposes the death sentence and life imprisonment for certain homosexual acts. And the activists will appear at the court today to finalize their appeal before the date is set for a full hearing later this month. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for them 
that that they can that they can convince the court that this law is unconstitutional. I know the Blinken, our Secretary of State, has come out in support of the activists, and and I believe the United States also were putting sanctions on the Ugandan government officials that voted for this law by revoking their visas and stuff like that. But the Ugandan politicians are going, you know, fuck the West. We don't care what they say. We're Ugandans and we can be strong. So don't worry about, don't worry about having your, your visa revoked or whatever. The article was, was pretty detailed in the various positions of various state entities in our country and also in Uganda. And I know things have been bad there for a while, but this law that was passed this past March is ridiculous. I, I just makes me, it's like a matter of degrees. And I just, I, I don't even know what this would be like to live under something like that. You know, I'm more worried about when I was young, like holding hands with a woman in Virginia would be different than holding hands with a woman in New Jersey. I could expect more weird looks or backlash or some bullshit. You know what I mean? But not a death sentence, yeah, or anything like. Close yeah, I, to that. it's it. I, uh, I, I don't even know. Yeah, it, they really need. They they can't be doing that. I no. mean, I keep saying they can't be doing that, and yet they are. Ugh. All right. Well, I feel, um, <laughs> I feel incredibly fortunate to not have to deal with something like that severe, and I I do wish the best for those activists, and we'll yes. keep an eye out for how we might help from afar even you know yes and and i and besides besides that it's the other thing that they were talking about and i think this is one of the their talking points in getting the law overturned is that what we would consider hate crimes here are on a increase there's been a lot more discriminatory practices against the lgbtq community there like people are getting they're losing jobs they're getting they're losing housing the incidence of violence against them has risen and it's not been good you know it's you know it's like when shit like this happens like other people like like the assholes think they can they have now license to be an asshole to everybody or to whoever is pissing them off today for some reason mm. so in other news, <laughs> in other news, <laughs> peach fuzz is Pantone's color of the year for 2024. And I, along with other people that I've seen, are saying, why? <laughs> I don't get it. Well, you don't get the, the pastel pink or you don't get color of the year? Uh, the, the color, the, the, the chosen color is not a favorite color of mine at really at all oh the chosen color from pantone for the year has rarely been a favorite color of mine so i wasn't expecting i do sometimes i'm pleasantly surprised hmm. i think last year there were two pastels the, the colors for this year was like a pastel blue and pink i think maybe i don't remember now okay. I, this is how much i pay attention to it <laughs> but yeah it's like i yeah i have no idea what oracles they consult to decide this <laughs> right yeah is it no like idea. what they think is going to be in fashion for clothes or for design or for i guess it could be any of those things it's interesting it's not like they think it's going to be they decide and then it is uh, 
because you're going to start see you're going to you will see that color now you know going to home goods for example and then they also have you know they not only do they have a color of the year every quarter they have another color or a color palette for each season and that changes every year too so that's you know so you're going to so see they're the taste like, makers of all this basically yeah they're the, and it's also so they can charge a lot of money for their color swatch books and stuff <laughs> right you know it's and then and then Stuart Semple's going to come out with or if he hasn't already cuz he generally comes out with another a color that's exactly the same but it's not owned by big color okay <laughs> you know cuz he he's come out with he keeps coming out with different versions of black to get back at Anish Kapoor, who is the only artist in the world that's allowed to use Vanta Black. I don't know how the hell he did it, but he's the only one allowed to use it. So okay, I I don't know um, what you're talking about, but that's okay. It's okay. It's it. <laughs> I'll shut up. No, I I want to. No, I'll have Vanta to look black. it up because it's like yeah. Yeah, Vanta Black is is the blackest black. It it's. I think if you paint it on like a box and put it outside, the things inside the box will burst into flames just because it absorbs all the heat and it gets too hot. Okay. Um, there's, there's, it's, there's some weird alchemy with, with this particular black color. And he's the only artist on the planet that's allowed to use it. And this other English artist, Stuart Semple, said, fuck that. I'm making a black and and you go to his website and if you're trying to buy that or many other things you have to sign an affidavit saying that you're not Anish Kapoor you're not buying it for Anish Kapoor and you will not let it fall into Anish Kapoor's hands you know (laughs) and and just from that this little war he's had with Anish Kapoor I love this man (laughs) that's hilarious he also when when the Barbie movie was using all the pink and nobody could get pink, he came out with a pink, the Barbie pink that but he couldn't call it Barbie pink. I think he just called it the pinkiest pink. And our final news story of the day is a fossil thought for years to be a plant turned out to be a baby turtle. And surprised researchers have nicknamed it Turtwig after a Pokemon character that is half turtle, half plant. This story makes me so happy. <laughs> I like Turtwig. That's very cool. I, I like it. So is he related to the Bulbasaur? I guess Bulbasaur isn't a turtle. And he's and he's not Squirtle either, so No, he's a different he's a different Pokemon. I okay. Could, yeah, he's very cool. But we can okay. I can put Turtwig on there. Alright. I can post him. <laughs> and and I don't know if our listeners are aware, but I'm the graphic designer person who would normally be talking about the Pantone <laughs> news segment and and Robin is the Pokemon person who would be talking about that but we apparently switched interests this week <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> and that's that cool. that my friends is all the news we can handle today Catch a new wave with Save by Zero on Radio PBS, independent internet radio from Melbourne, Australia, now Thursdays at 7 a.m. Eastern, and again to start off your Sundays at 12 a.m. or Saturday night at midnight if you prefer. 
Join me, your host, Andrew Genus, and take an hour-long dive into new wave, post-punk, progenitors, and permutations. Saved by Zero, Thursdays at 7 a.m. and Sundays at 12 a.m. on RadioPVS.com. Welcome to the Artscape, where one of us interviews the other of us, and today it is my turn to interview musician and all-around wonderful person, Robin Renee. Welcome to the show, (laughs) Robin. Well, thank you, thank you, Wendy. I'm glad to be here. So, you are gigging again. That's the rumor. Yeah, that is the rumor. I feel like I'm kind of being drugged out of semi-retirement <laughs> by, <laughs> by my former bandmate Sharif. We were in a band called Spy Gods together, Sharif Hobley. And he's a fantastic multi-instrumentalist and he played mostly bass in the bands that I was, I was in, but he plays guitar, he plays everything really. We made a recording of a song that's not out yet, a cover song that we will release eventually, but we recorded this, you know, several months ago and that was, that was fun to, to be in studio and do a lot of multi-tracking and voices and things that I haven't really had the opportunity to do in a long time. So that was cool. And he invited me on a gig, just it's called Sharif and Friends. He also has a band called Sharif and Burgundy. It's kind of like his group, but he does a Sharif and Sharif and Friends. It's just him acoustic. And then other folks kind of do some, some songs afterwards and that sort of thing. So I did that a few several weeks ago and they loved it they really liked us and we brought out a lot of people this was a saturday night actually it was a saturday after thanksgiving Mm. and they wanted us back so i will be doing the show on friday and they is the venue which is the venue is called pies p-i apostrophe s okay (laughs) and this is at 247 raritan avenue in highland park new jersey And it's like, it's a, it's funny because it's like when it was first described to me, it's like a, a sushi restaurant, Mr. <laughs> Pie's Sushi. And I was like, I was picturing like really like sitting amongst people eating and not caring about the music and sort of ignoring us. I was like, uh, well, it's a gig. I mean, I'll do it, but it's not really what I want to do. But it's not, that's not like that at all. It's, it's very, there's like a food venue, but then on the other side, there's like a bar space and it's very, very much set up for, for performance space. Oh, and that's. Yeah, so it was a really, really good show. It was Sharif, myself, and a guy called Tom Murphy, who I know mostly as a bassist in like rock shows. You know, mm-hmm. he's sort of very sort of loud, so it was kind of cool to hear him do like an acoustic sort of oh, that's set. Cool. Okay, so yeah. this is this is a like a quiet music venue, not like you know going to a bar with the bar band with you know all the amps and loudness right no it's more it's more like acoustic okay sets yeah we might do a little collaboration or something like that but for the most part it's yeah it's not like full full amplification full (laughs) band stuff for at least okay not in this space yeah okay and you're doing and when you were up there you're you guys weren't all playing together you were each doing your own things right okay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay yeah, so I will probably play a 20, 30-minute set coming up this, okay. this Friday. So, yeah, so it's been it's been good and way, way, way overdue. Like, I, I actually had 
And one of the things I'm really working, needing to work through is I just had this abject stage fright mm. going into the show on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Really? It was kind of really, it was really scary because it was so intense. And not stage fright like, oh, I'm afraid to be on a stage. It was like this overwhelming feeling that I don't know any songs and I'm going to be terrible. <laughs> oh, and gosh. I can't, I, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. I mean, it was really awful. She just sort of like forgot, like, I don't know how to play the guitar anymore. And <laughs> that kind of Yeah, thing. it feels oh like God. that. I mean, part of it is just the fact of, you know, I, I sometimes get so caught up into just my day to day life that I'm really not playing as much as I would like at all, or even, you know what I mean? And so if I just get away from it after a while, I feel like I don't have the tools, mm. you know, but I do and I did and it was fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> But it, but I was really in a panic that I, it's hard to even describe. Like I thought I thought I was going to like throw up, kind of just feeling awful about the whole thing and thinking of ways could I get out of it or could it get <laughs> oh, somehow be canceled or. Oh man. I mean, it was it was just it's terrible, and so I don't want to feel that way again. No. So playing regularly, whether I'm gigging or not or whatever, and just remembering myself my own because it's a part of my soul right music is just it's everything in a lot of ways for me you know so I'm really grateful to start to be asked to to do things again and to want to and to want to like be proactive in into creating some shows again and you know and I think it's the right timing you know I feel I'm feeling confident about being in in public again like Mm. after the whole COVID thing because that really took a couple years out of at least a year and a half out of my wanting to be yeah in the world i'm i don't know that i'm even back yet but (laughs) i yeah but i do i want to just mention when i when i used to have really bad stage fright where i think i actually did throw up once i started making this concoction of like a throat tea and also a bunch of valerian root in there that i would drink before i go on stage and it would chill me out a bit and yeah, I was gonna say it would make you yeah yeah really yeah it would chill me out so I could like get through the gig <laughs> so. okay huh I think that might be too make me too mellow but but it's a good idea maybe a little maybe a touch of Valerian well it work. was it was the the throat it had throw coat tea and this weird stuff I got at a health food store that the woman when I tell her I'm a singer I want blah 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 she it it, it was this it was red and it was very pepper spicy hot. And it's supposed to be good for your throat. And I put that in there, too. I, I swear, it was like this whole, I don't know. It was this just crazy. And I would have it in, you know, one of those big water bottles. And I'd drink it ahead of time. That sounds, I, I, I would try the witchy brew. That might be <laughs> yeah, it nice was definitely thing. a potion. It was definitely a witchy potion that was like <laughs> my, pre, my pre-concert thing. So Yeah, yeah. Well, All right. Yeah, so that's an, that's an idea. But... So, so yeah, so that's a thing that's happening, and I, I think I would like to, you know, in addition to those types of gigs, like really start thinking again about where I might want to book mm. on my own. Do you think you're going to go tour around like you had been doing before the pandemic? That is a thought <laughs> that I would like to pursue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it feels very, I, I, I do kind of feel rusty at the whole procedure of booking and planning and getting out there you know yeah but I can do it and and I, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit unsure that I'm wanted out there no. but I think 
I think it will be fine. I think there's interest, actually. Okay. Okay. So, so you know, I'm I'm sort of feeling insecure, but also feeling like it's important for me to try. Well, you should then. I know yeah. it's. I know it takes a lot of planning and ahead of time. You know, like you would be booking now for shit next fall kind of thing. Right. It's like it takes a long time to to ramp that whole engine up to rev it up. Right. That's the thing. And I want. I guess one of the things I have to say is it's not. It's not fun for me. It needs to be fun, or it needs to be you know, pay me something <laughs> or so I want to be not like, not, not in a greedy way, but in a respect way, you know, yeah. like if it's local, like I can, Highland Park is, it's, that's like my hometown, basically New Brunswick, Highland Park. I don't need a lot of money to do those gigs. I want to just sort of see my friends and get back to, get back to my center. And right. that's what that feels like to me, you know, but to do something away like I right. want I would want to plan it well yeah and not really be like sort of fly by night and no because oh you do it for the exposure <laughs> kind no, of thing because I don't yeah you're beyond I don't that. need that yeah right yeah exactly so so you're right it does take time and looking ahead into the future to, to plan some things and so I'm less excited about that part of it but I am I am actually interested in getting good at it again and, and finding the this this tools I need for that Another thing is just like relearning things because like it is, it does happen that if I haven't played a song in ages or things from my albums that I really like that I haven't performed in a long time, it just kind of fell out of my set list. Mm. And so I've been working out some of those oh, tunes good. again and stuff. And that's, yeah, that feels fun to do. So, yeah. So um, talk to me a little bit about your other projects like you're saved by zero tell me about that yes yeah, so saved by zero is going well i just did my 51st show wow last night it's interesting you know i mean it focuses on punk rock so i'm djing it it's like a dj show that i do an hour of post-punk new wave punk and related genres sunday nights at nine is when i do it live on discord okay or, I mean, it's it's recorded, but I'm there live chatting right. and discussing and, and, you know, posting things and whatever. And then it appears in Radio PVS in Melbourne. Okay. Out of Melbourne on internet radio. And then on I like how Mixcloud. You, I like how you say Melbourne. Yeah, because it's not Melbourne. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you're right, but, you know. We're American. We're Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I had to. I had. I had to be schooled to say Nolan. So yeah, Melbourne. Right. I have to remember that. Right. And, and what's the, the other one that hurts my ears? Spokane has a silent, silent e. Like you can't Is say it? Spokane. No, yes, I thought it Spok- was Spockany. Spockany? I don't know. That could have been. That could have been. Uh, that that's probably. <laughs> that's a. That's a <laughs> That's a Star Trek joke. It well, yes, but then it is. I did hear that at the science fiction convention in Spokane, but it was a, a rebus. It you know it was a little banner thing that was a rebus. So it it's the pictures that you then say as words, and it had Spock and a knee. Okay. <laughs> so and and it took me a minute to go. Oh, they're saying Spokane. As Spockany, and it honestly, it could be Spockany for that that the native people who lived there might have called it that, and then we just you know Americanized it. 
That could be. I, I Like with Hecate. <laughs> we're off topic. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's just funny. Because <laughs> like, like Shakespeare called Hecate Hecate. And people ah. would say Hecate. And I go, that's not right. That's not Greek. So. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I, but yeah, it is off topic. Words. Okay. Words are interesting. Words yes. count, I suppose, in this in this segment. <laughs> so. But anyway, yeah. So let's see. Recent shows I've done with I did I did a Hanukkah show mm-hmm. last night, which was you know alternative bands doing Hanukkah songs specifically, but also things songs about light and and chocolate and things <laughs> like that that sort of have to do with with. That are things that are celebrated in the holiday. So it was like it was very reverent, but also a little funny in some places. And there's a punk rock Hanukkah song, okay, like like the Adam Sandler song, but like about punk rockers. So I played that. It, you know, it was it was cool. Okay. I like. I I think people I think people enjoyed it. And I was a little nervous because I wanted it to not be disrespectful in any way. And I think I think the people who it most mattered to enjoyed it a lot. Well, that's so that good. was good. That's good. Yeah. That was cool. And upcoming, I think I'm going to do kind of like a dancey show mm. based on the music of 1983 because tons of albums are having their 40th anniversaries okay. this year, which is kind of wild. It's Yeah, it um, makes you feel old, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but so I think I'm going to focus on that kind of stuff and then I'll do like a holiday show and then out because... I'm not doing a show on New Year's Eve, <laughs> as you might well imagine. Yeah, I I would I would say that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's been it's been feeling very. It's feeding my soul in a way. Yeah, like diving into music that some of some of which I know like it's just in my DNA and other things other bands that I hadn't really encountered before and thinking about themes and things kind of just come to me. Oh, that's cool. That helps me decide what I want to work on. And, you know, sometimes I've done shows based on like a lot of the live shows that I talked about mm-hmm. last show that I was seeing over the summer or in fall, but other things, you know, yeah. topics like artists singing about other artists or <laughs> things like that, which can kind of come up with interesting threads. So that so I'm loving it. So that's, that's kind of your creative outlet right now. It's, Yes, it's my it's currently my biggest creative outlet, but so is playing again, just, you know, just sitting with the guitar and playing and thinking about thinking about my own music. And I I don't want to lose sight of that because I see it is very easy for me to do everything but the the thing I need to do. (laughs) I do think that I do think that I do think that Saved by Zero is the thing I need to do, but I don't want to use it to avoid my own playing okay so that's a thing that i've been um, conscious of and sort of ramping up into my own work again which feels good still a little daunting but 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 fine you know and it's definitely necessary and and feels feels good so you're you're revisiting your catalog yes but are you also exploring new music? Like, are you doing any writing? I am. And it's, I haven't liked anything. <laughs> I haven't liked anything. And I think it's 
one of those things where it's okay to write shitty stuff, uh -huh. you know, and also disconnected things because those come around and become, yeah, those pieces come back together, right. you know? Yeah. So right now I have notebooks of weird notes and <laughs> song titles that I know are need to come into fruition. Mm -hmm. So, so there's that. And there's some poetry that I've been writing, which is sort of different than my lyrics, but that happens. And one of the things that I sort of have some accountability with, with one of my partners where we'll say like, Hey, did you do that collage? Or Hey, did you work on that poem? You know, uh -huh. to kind of keep, keep going. Okay. Which is nice. Yeah. So you're like in the incubation stage for new stuff. Yeah, I would say so. And well, I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the fear stage still, but, but incubation. Yes. That's a, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> That, yeah, I have a bunch of things that I think part of me wants to see it, uh, an entire vision before I put it down, mm -hmm. before I write things down completely. And that's not how it works some of the time. Right. Sometimes it does. Yeah. But it doesn't have to. So some of it is just, I'm just going to bang a song out, which leads me to what I've been talking with my friend Brian Rasick. I was actually so over the moon inspired by Nick Lowe this fall when I saw him. And one of the things I like about his songwriting is that it's very crafted. It's very, like you can hear a craft in it. Okay. As opposed to just sort of writing from whatever, like random use. You know, it's, it's, it's very, he calls himself a Tin Pan Alley hack, which <laughs> is not accurate, but it's funny. But it made me think, you know what? sometimes you just need to bang out a song and, and do it. And so I was talking to my friend Brian Rasick and hopefully in the next year, oh, by the way, I was in a band called The Loved Ones with, with Brian back in the day. And I said, let's just make our own houses like the Brill Building and we'll just get together and we're not leaving until we just punch out a pop, a, a great pop song or whatever, <laughs> like any pop song, you know. And I kind of like that. I've done a little bit of that kind of writing. I did a little bit of that with David Lasley back in the day when he who sang with James Taylor and has mm. done, he's written, he wrote some amazing songs. But it's just bantering back and forth and like saying words back and forth to each other until like shit just comes out and then you just write it oh, down, cool. you know, and create it. So that has not happened yet. I'm, I have got to bug Brian and say like, all right, after, after the holiday, like we have to really start in earnest, you know, even before if we have time, I would love to, mm. but we'll see. Okay. So that's a, that's a plan. You know, I think it's something that I could, you're kind of right. I could sit forever in that sort of circular, just the, the cycle of like sort of coming up with random ideas and not really pursuing them and not finishing anything. And that's not where I want to be anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. But I'm, I'm encouraged that just being seen again and, and wanting to, to play stuff that I have written. And, you know, I think, I think it will be a good, I have a couple of spaces in mind that will be very good for just playing new material and not worrying too much about, you know, if it's not perfect or whatever. Hmm. Although that's, <laughs> now that everyone has cell phones, that's, that's not always true. Because ah. like anything you do is automatically in video, you know? <laughs> yeah, but the sound quality is going to sh be shit anyway. Yeah. Cell phone Con, you know, cell phone audio is 
not it's not ideal it's not good and i mean it i yeah. mean that's why i keep seeing ads for these devices that record they're supposed to you just plop it down in the room like at a live venue and it it's not going to be too loud so everything is clipped and sounds distorted because the band is loud and the the auto limiter on the recording device it sucks right, yeah. <laughs> i won't get too technical so any other thoughts that you want to give either your fan base or aspiring musicians that look up to you for inspiration I would say that know that what you do can can actually be affecting people and it can have impact even if you don't know it. And the reason I say that is I just was contacted by a, uh, a student, a seminary student in the Midwest who wrote a bio on me for this sort of LGBTQ religion directory or something like that okay and it's all about you know people of influence in the lgbtq community and what they're doing and everything and you know this person researched me to the oh my gosh like everything <laughs> about everything about our old podcast oh and my god about their current podcast and how did he my get work. information on our old podcast the internet has everything oh i was god. i was amazed at this research and they wanted to give me the opportunity to really look at it and, you know, add, fill in some gaps okay. that they didn't know. They wanted to know, like, what happened between <laughs> college and where, my first where were, band or something. Where were you like on that. January 6th? Where were you on January 6th? <laughs> exactly. No. no. <laughs> but, you know, some, some, some useful sort of connecting information. And, and I was able to, mostly what they had, I, I, I was fine with. A couple things I would have tweaked a bit, but it was it was sort of humbling i guess you could say that my body of work looks like something that like a student <laughs> would want to document wow. and know about and learn more about wow. you know so you're famous now <laughs> <laughs> well and and also and it's sort of revisiting the idea of music my music's fused with spirituality because i sort of have a fraught relationship with that sometimes mm. but it's part of what I do and have done. And I think that's, that's fair to have that okay. out there, you know. I think that's really cool, though, that that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even imagine being contacted in that context at all. So, so well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but hey, you know, your song, someone streaming your song in Japan. Yeah, I know. Could be... It could be making their day or life in no, some I... way that you don't even know, you know, so. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I like I like the fact of that. And so sometimes <laughs> when I feel discouraged, I realize that, you know, you have an impact. But I don't like to think about that. I'm not thinking of like, oh, what will be my legacy? <laughs> you know, just, just make music and do some shit and somebody might like it. <laughs> so that's I like my that. advice. That's your... <laughs> okay, let me let me sum up. Make music and do some shit and somebody might like it. Yeah, there All you right. go. <laughs> <laughs> That's going on a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. One more time Before you wake up in the wild 
your eyes I see your flowers slowly dying Together with the Nature Conservancy, you have the power to make a difference. For unspoiled nature, for beautiful wildlife, and for people everywhere. Together, we can find a way to ensure that all life on Earth can thrive. natural world needs us now. Every day, we lose more lands, waters, and the wild species that depend on them. To learn more, visit nature.org today. Well, I'm very happy to have Jan Steckel back on our show. We actually spoke to Jan, I couldn't believe this, it was 2019, and I believe it was episode 43, so that has been a while ago. Yeah. It's been a minute. So yeah. welcome, Jan. Thank you, Robin. And good I just, to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Uh, just for a little bit of reminding people who you are, Jan Steckel's debut fiction collection, Ghosts and Oceans, just came out from Zeitgeist Press. Her poetry book, The Horizontal Poet, also on Zeitgeist, won a 2012 Lambda Literary Award, and her poetry book, Like Flesh Covers Bone, which we talked about when she was on the show last time, won two Rainbow Awards. And she's just very lauded for her work, Aww. and she's she's appeared in Scholastic Magazine, Yale Medicine, Bellevue Literary Review, Canary, and elsewhere, and she is lives in Oakland, California. So, yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about your new your new work and what led you there. Thank you, Robin. So my my previous books have been poetry, um, except for one fiction chapbook that won the Gertrude Press Fiction Chapbook Award. And the story that comprised that chapbook is part of this new debut short fiction collection that I just put out with Zeitgeist Press. They are a small independent poetry press, but they've recently this year started publishing fiction as well. So the book is kind of a kitchen sink collection. It doesn't have an overarching narrative arc the way some collections of short stories do these days. It's basically every piece that I've published or most of the pieces that I published in the last 40 years. So it's eclectic and it has several strains in it. There are there's a group of stories that are about the Dominican Republic, where I was a Peace Corps volunteer. There's a group of stories about Los Angeles, where I grew up uh, as a teenager. Uh, there's another group of stories about being bi. I'm bisexual. And there are different styles as well. There are long stories and very short flash fictions. And there are sort of literary prose that's perhaps a bit flowery. And then there's kind of satirical, funny, even raunchy stuff. So that's that's my take on the on the book. Nice, nice. And you feel it holds together or is it well you did say eclectic, so it's sort of like yeah, a lot of I, different things. Yeah. I think I think that, you know, if you read my bio, which is at the back of the book, it, you can sort of see how it pulls together because it's drawing on my experience. But it doesn't have and I, I think it demonstrates a, a range of of styles of writing. Nice. Yes, well, I am looking forward to reading it, you know, reading all of it, but I, I think you might have something that you want to share with us today. 
Yeah, I, I want to debut a story here that I've never read aloud called Black and White Virgins. That sounds amazing. Yeah, let's do <laughs> and, Thanks. And it has a sort of an epigraph from Business Week Online from March 7th, 2005. Rival gangs battling over the drug trade in an overcrowded, vermin-infested prison set their bedding ablaze and blocked the entrance to their cell block, killing at least 133 inmates in one of Latin America's worst jailhouse blazes. Hmm. So part one. The indigenous Virgin of Guadalupe is very miraculous and accompanies you wherever you go or are. This chain letter goes out to the world to give the people an image of the dark beauty of the Virgin of Guadalupe. To continue this chain, you must make 35 copies and share them within nine days. The president of Brazil received this letter and made fun of it. After nine days, his son died. A lady received it and sent it, and after nine days, she won the lottery. Senor Fernandez received it, and in nine days, he won 10,000 pesos. Victor Munoz, although he had it in his hands, ordered his secretary to send his copies. She forgot about it, and in nine days, she lost her job. Please don't make fun of the Virgin of Guadalupe. In nine days, you will receive a surprise. Two. Take the ferry from Samana in the northeast corner of the Dominican Republic across the bay to Savannah de la Mar, just you and the chickens and the goats and the sweating men and women and your motorcycle. Debark in desiccated Savannah de la Mar and ride your motorcycle through Miches and Misibon to the city of Salvaleon, Spanish for save lion, the Igüe, Arawak for land of the sun. Juan Ponce de Leon arrived here with Cristobal Colon in the year of our Lord, 1493. Juan founded his lion-saving city on his way to find the Fountain of Youth for which he possessed the royal charter. Alfonso and Antonio Trejo, among the first Spaniards in Hispaniola, brought the portrait of Our Lady of Altagracia from their birthplace in Extremadura to the grateful town of Igüe. Twelve stars and a radiant crown framed the head of the sweet, pale virgin from Spain. Tatica Avigüe, as the people called her, wore blue, white, and red, the colors of the future Dominican flag. Over the centuries, thousands of touching hands and candle smoke of innumerable votives darkened the European face of the Lady of Altagracia almost to the color of the people who worshipped her in Igüe. Three. The Black Virgin of Guadalupe sent her chain letter from Mexico to the White Virgin of Altagracia in the town of Salva de Leon de Igüe on the eastern edge of Hispaniola. Quote, Sister, make 35 copies and share them within nine days. After the ninth day, you'll have yourself another miracle. I know you're going to make fun of me, but this really works. Love to dad and the kid. Con cariño, Lupe. Four. In the year of our Lord, 2005, a prison festered in Igway. Rats the size of black cats skittered squeaking through the bars to nibble the toes of the prisoners. Five men slept in cells built for two. The prison director said gangs fought to control the sale of drugs, cigarettes, and food. Not even the director was sure exactly how many men were in the place. 
Privately, he agreed with the Human Rights Commission that Igwe was the worst prison in the country, but one had to make do with what one was given. One night in the cell block called Vietnam, prisoner Alfonso of Igwe received the chain letter of the Virgin of Guadalupe. He was going to pass it on to 35 men, but it was hard to find a photocopier in jail. He lay on his louse-ridden mattress and picked out a needle that had worked its way out of the straw. He didn't know who would be sticking needles in his bed unless it was that Ponce Leon from Savana de la Mar, who everybody knew was Antonio of Misibon's bitch. Santos and Trejo were going to be clicking dominoes all night, but it was nothing compared to those Haitian bastards banging on their bars again like tanbu drums. It sounded like the goddamned Congo in here. Haitians, he thought, they're blacks from Africa. We Dominicans, we're blacks from Spain. Those Sabana de la Mar guys are born on boats, grow barnacles between their toes and seaweed behind their ears. But we of Igüe, with our Basilica of the Virgin of Alta Gracia, we know what a real city is. He closed his eyes. Nine days later, he killed Antonio of Nisivon over four packs of cigarettes and some dulce de habichuelas, setting off a napalm spark that spread like a chain letter. The men of Savana de la Mar piled the chicken wire and wood frames of their beds against the only entrance to their cell block and set fire to their mattresses. The Virgin of Alta Gracia presided over her grandest auto de fe. No one could claw his way out, nor could the drunk and sleepy rescuers break through the white-hot iron of the door to get in. Afterward, the failed rescuers found 133 bodies piled against the rubble that blocked the door. They pulled them out and laid them in front of the prison for the families to view, but the bodies were burned so black that no one could identify sons or husbands. Maria Guadalupe Leon came to find her son. The police sent her to a photocopy shop opposite the jail to buy a list of the men in Vietnam cell block for a dollar. In the prison yard under a tarpaulin, Maria Altagracia Trejo found a corpse whose blackened hand was fused to a charred domino. This must be the body of my son, she said. No one played dominoes better than he did. Wow. I'm, I'm a little bit not sure what to say after this. Yeah. So it's, it has, it's sort of uh, surreal, but very serious. Hmm. And... I don't know. It touches on a lot of a lot of things, a, a lot of history. Do yeah, you, it's hard to say to, to, to you know explain your writing, but what no, would you I like mean, to say about that? Piece? Yeah, well, you know, there's a prison abolition movement that that I know people here in the East Bay that are involved with it, and I pretty much agree with it. I you know, short of people who are absolutely dangerous to life and limb who I think belong in crim criminal insane asylums. I, I don't see a good reason to keep people in prisons. And I think that it's very involved with race. And this, this story deals with racism in, in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti. The Dominicans are on average lighter skinned than Haitians and they look down on Haitians, and they're very racist toward Haitians. And one of the characters in this story 
expresses racist views, which I, I hope is not presented uncritically. I hope that it's it's clear that I, as the author, don't necessarily espouse these racist views. But I think that, that racism is tied up with what happened in the prison in the Dominican Republic that burned down. And I was very disturbed and moved when I heard what had happened because I, I lived very near where this happened. And because, you know, I just feel like this is a, a sort of an inevitable tragedy under the conditions that people are imprisoned in the Dominican Republic. And there's a lot of history of black and white virgins in, in Latin America. And, and that brings in the race question too. And I think the, the racism is inter- intricately tied up with economic discrimination and and leads to this terrible disaster so that's kind of what i was trying to get at okay Uh, can you say a little bit more about black and white virgins yeah so there are black virgins in latin america who you know look more like the people that worship them there was a the black virgin of guadalupe was seen by a peasant who had dark skin himself and and he saw a dark-skinned virgin instead of the white-skinned virgin that people had been taught to worship in these colonial places. Right. So like uh, an appearance of Mary or, a, or an idea of mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. she would be portrayed. Okay. Yeah. So Mary manifested to this Latino peasant, to this, you know, South, I, I think it was in, I'm not sure where it happened. I think it might've been Central America or, or Mexico. And now there are there's a, a virgin in the Virgin of Guadalupe looks like the people who worship her instead of like a European goddess. Mm-hmm. So in the story, the black and white virgins are talking to each other and they're talking about this chain letter. And there's a virgin in Igwe who used to be a white virgin when she was brought over in, in the 17th century, I think from Spain, but because she's, been having can- so many candles lit and under her, and people praying, the soot has turned her dark. So she's now a black virgin. She's now the the people's virgin. Oh, beautiful. That's wow. Okay, that's really cool. I know this is a question a lot of people just use, but get how do you get how does one get from the art to making statements that political people will hear does the art inspire other people yeah, to, no, to take a, action yeah that's that? a great question the i've actually taught uh, or facilitated workshops on how to be an activist poet and or activist writer and it's it's multifold on one level you write your story and you hope the story moves somebody to action or to sympathy. And so your slant as an author, your political views infuse the story and maybe you move someone to have compassion for a people they didn't have compassion for, for example. Like you might write about what it's like to be in Palestine right now under threat of death. And that might move somebody to sympathize more with the Palestinian people. But another way is to publish your work in venues where many people will see it, venues that have a political slant. So I give out a list of venues, journals that publish 
uh, political poetry or topical poetry, poetry about current events, where you can publish that. Another way is to hold events, artistic events, that raise money for a cause that you think is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So there was a reading in San Francisco called Poetry and Pizza that used to do this every month. And when I read there, we donated the money to the Lyons Martin Clinic, which served was originally founded to serve sex workers. And we read things that we felt thought were relevant to that. But the main point was to get, you know, the people would come and they'd, they'd give a donation to the clinic and then they get free pizza donated by the pizza place and, and lots of good poetry. And yet another way might be to write about your experiences. So if you're like, I was in the Dominican Republic as a Peace Corps volunteer, and I saw things that affected me and changed my worldview. And if I write about these experiences, I can share these experiences with other people that didn't experience it directly. I can be a witness. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the ways I think that people can make change with art. Yeah, it's always good for me to sort of be reminded of that too, because it's it's easy to for me to feel like I'm navel gazing sometimes, you know, and <laughs> and it's it's just I'm really inspired by your writing about you know really very serious in the world matters, you know, and and that can intersect with fantasy and 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 ideas other ideas as well, but it's very present, which is which I really appreciate. Thank you so much. And, you know, I, I appreciate that because you're a person who's changed the world with her art. You've written s uh, songs about being bi, and that gives people like me a way to see ourselves in art and to feel proud of who we are. And that's really important. And that's that's political action. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I will take the I will I will not deflect the compliment, <laughs> even though it's really hard not to. I've, I was talking about imposter syndrome uh, earlier today, so it's definitely a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but thank thank you for that reading. Uh, is there another piece you'd want to share with us today? Huh, I think I'd like to contrast maybe just a little bit of sort of pure art that doesn't have a political agenda. Let's see. I'll just read this one, actually. This is this is a, a rant about Los Angeles from a teenager who's, who's feeling ashamed of Los Angeles. Okay. In the fall, I'll go to college on the East Coast, and at Christmas, I'll walk back across the desert with new friends. Hawks will churn above our heads and poppies bow beneath our feet when we come westward. We'll crunch across salt flats all night and reach the city at dawn. I will run to the end of the pier and shout, crawl sideways all you crabs from under barnacled pilings, bring sand fleas and the leopard shark who steals the bait from the line, remember me to mussels in black bunches like tar-stained grapes on the rusted chain, and to the keyhole limpet peeking as from behind a door, whisper to the purple olive and the chestnut cowrie that I have come. Notify the Grunion's eggs like grains of glass, and the hermit ensconced in his stolen throne, the pelican's broken egg, and the holdfast torn shrieking from the rock, that today we take our own back. I will throw my arms up to the hazy sky and bellow. Sandpipers will come skittering and avocets stepping high with long bills airborne like trumpets. Gulls will flap down screeking in ragged gray and white, Behind them, oil-black cormorants flying with necks outstretched. The lordly pelican will glide like a lost pterodactyl. 
I will call red-brown squirrels from cliffside burrows and gray light-footed tree squirrels from pine trees and telephone line. From the hills, I will lure Coyote and his younger brother, the little fox with glowing eyes. Down will amble the shameless raccoon, stopping to lick his paws, followed by the tentative deer. I will summon all the disinherited to ridge, foothill, and ocean border to witness the destruction of a city monstrous but not great. And it sort of goes on in that vein. And the the funny thing is that, like, I'm writing about Los Angeles, which is seen by the world as this kind of concrete desert. But I grew up in the hills on the edge of wilderness. And for me, writing about California or about Los Angeles is largely a matter of describing the natural world, including the ocean, which is like a character in this book, and, and the hills and the, the wildlife and everything. I, I like that. And, you know, being from New Jersey, people generally don't picture where I live either. They mm-hmm, picture, mm-hmm. you know, the turnpike and... Yeah, but Jersey's you know. gorgeous. Yeah, it's yeah. Neat. I live down by where the Jersey Devil lives in the, uh-huh. in the pines. So it's yeah. a very different It's a very different environment than a lot of people think of. I, I worked in Princeton and uh, for a guy that I took a job with because he had a hot air balloon. And I would crew for him on the ground and every three times i crewed for him on the ground chasing his hot air balloon around i'd get to fly in the hot air balloon with him and i remember going over jersey woods and it was green green and and you could see deer leaping through there it was gorgeous very cool wow hot air hot air balloon travel that is (laughs) you keep fascinating me there's always more to learn (laughs) oh thank you very nice well, the the book is Ghosts and Oceans. Maybe a little word about that title. Yeah, I, I thought those were two themes that one found throughout the book. There's a lot of sort of supernatural and, and ghost stuff going on. You know, in the first story I read, it was the virgins, the black and white virgins speaking. And then there are, there, you know, some there might be an angel, there might be a ghost. And then, as I mentioned, the ocean is pretty much a character in the book. It's in almost every story, except for the the funny and the raunchy ones. And I think it's just because for me, you know, in the tradition of romantic poetry, everybody's got this, this thing that substitutes in romantic writing in the sense of, you know, 19, early 19th century romantic poets, something that substitutes for God. So it's the point where people left right off writing about God and instead wrote about this immense creative inspiration force such as the mountains or the ocean. And and that's what the ocean is for me. Mm. Well, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your work. And I'm really happy to share it with our listeners. And thank you for talking with me again. Thank you so much, Robin. And I I just wanted to mention if, if people want to find the book, they can find it at uh, the Zeitgeist Press website at zeitgeist-press.com or on Amazon in paperback or Kindle. Absolutely. And we'll make sure those links are on our show notes as well. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. All right. Lovely talking with you. You too. Well, this is our last show of the season and the last show we're going to have for the year. Yes. So happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year holidays. Happy New Holidays. <laughs> yes. <sighs> I guess we're going to be running old old shows, so we'll be around but virtually. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll find some shows maybe from this season or maybe some favorites from before and repost them for everyone. Uh, you'll have a chance yeah. to catch up on everything. <laughs> and, and we'll take a break and we'll be also just sort of retooling thinking about the show thinking of what we want to present to you next next season yeah yeah next year ah yeah we're gonna have to see what what uh, i can't tell you what we're what's gonna happen next year so you're gonna have to tune in to find out (laughs) that's right (laughs) it's what can i say (laughs) we are mysterious beings (laughs) yes we're, we're gonna go into the blanket fort and figure this all out and come up with some cool stuff for you next year. Absolutely. That much I know. Yes. It'll be it'll be worth the wait. It'll be worth the wait. So have a happy and safe holiday season and remember uh I don't know. <laughs> it's just a window popped up. I it's got very confused. Oh. <laughs> like things are popping up and they shouldn't be. That's what he said. <laughs> Sorry. I like that. That's good. Uh, And on that note, (laughs) (laughs) I am Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on Twitter, X, whatever, at Spirit Rock Sexy, although I'm not there very often because it pretty much sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Andrew Genus on Discord, and you can check me out on Mixcloud, and I will post the link to that, and I hope you do. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Blue Sky at Vox Woman, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape, and we do like to hear from you over a break with any thoughts yes. or feedback, and it helps us build the show, and we, we love to hear from you. So, yes. until next time, be safe, happy holidays, and see you in 2024. And keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.